Hi, my name is Frankie. Thank you for listening to my mom. I never listen. Well, it is my pleasure to be joined by the head coach of Dayton and Tamika Jeter, Coach Tamika Jeter. The Raymond just feels like it should fall off of my, my <laughs> tongue, but um, I have been watching you since you were a high school player in Dayton. I remember going on a recruiting trip with Nancy Darsh to watch you play when Nancy was the head coach at Ohio State and I was the director of marketing. And part of the reason why I went is because my husband and I were living in Springfield at the time. So it was kind of in between and she was gonna be passing by anyway on Interstate 70. Tamika, it's just great to have you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks as always, Debbie. This is awesome. I mean, you always put a smile on my face. I'm so proud of you. I, I mean, I'm just proud of everything you've accomplished. You have a Hall of Fame resume based on your playing days, and now you're working on it as a coach. Yes. Um, how's it going? Tell a little bit about your journey because you didn't start at the top, right? You've worked your way through. Yes. Um. I mean, as an assistant coach, Jim Foster gave me my first start, right? And then through Bonnie Henriksen, learned a lot. Kevin McGuff, Co-Police Washington, and my mom, um, we find out during COVID, has severe short-term dementia. So we stepped down from there, and Brian Agler calls me. Uh, Brian Agler at the time was just retired after, I think, 25 to 26 years in, in the ABL and the WNBA, right? Won a couple world championships, and he was also the coach that drafted me to the Minnesota Lynx in 2002. Um, and I'm sure we could talk about him forever. He called about a D3 job at Wittenberg University in Springfield, Ohio, which um, I thought he was crazy. I told him I never wanted to be a head coach. I loved being an assistant coach. I loved getting kids better. That's why I stayed in it for so long. And um, I took him up on it, took a job. He hadn't been good in a long time. Uh, timeouts got shorter. Um, resources got, got, got lean. I had your son working for me. <laughs> Most days. Exactly. He was, my, he was, he was my best resource. Cause he was too young to tell me no, um, which is always good for young people to always ask, do you need anything? Um, if anything, you can learn, um, from your son he was there. Um, and we ended up going to the NCAA tournament and went to NCAC. And at the time I thought Brian Agler was crazy to call me to be a head coach at any level. But what I learned is those kids were so passionate and I coached them so hard. And I couldn't believe that a group of young women could pay to go to school and have me just run them through the mud the way they did and come up winning a championship. Well, you've, you've touched on a lot of hot buttons there, you know, for me, because you did mention my son, Joey, who That's had Joey. a great experience <laughs> learning from Brian and you. And now he's there full time at Wittenberg and he's really learning the job, trying to be in college athletics. And You've been a big part of his journey, and I'm grateful for that. And then there's Brian. You're right, four national uh, world championships, two in the ABL, two in the WNBA. He also has a Hall of Fame resume that one day he should be rewarded for it. Um, when you look at the resources of a Wittenberg versus the resources of some of the other places that you had, what was the first thing you learned very quickly about um, how to coach this group of kids knowing that you weren't going to have the same monetary resources, but you could provide these kind of resources right here, which you have. Big thing for them, there was a lot of turnover at that time in that position. So um, coming in, there was not a lot of trust. It was, hey, coaches come in and leave here. And Wimberg had been a really good um, 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 program. Um, great resource. I mean, um, great facility. 
facility. So from a facility standpoint, great. Athletic director standpoint, bar, you know, none. The president, um, that part of it was great, but there's 30 kids. You have a JV team. What? Samika, what? It's a JV team. What is that? I have, thir- I have 33 people on my roster. How do you manage that? How do you get through a practice? How do you keep everybody in tune? There's a lot of 11 man practices. There's a lot of full court shooting drills. Um, so it really made me really talk, um, tap into um, the resources I had in my past and the coaches I've coached under and uh, as to how to move them forward. The big thing was building that relationship and that trust. I had a very senior group that came back to to prove themselves because they were 21 season kids, but they weren't championship kids, right? And so um, I think in December that year, we were like three and five, right? And everything was going downhill. We were getting hit by COVID and we were losing games. And at that point, I really didn't care. They were chasing wins. I wanted to win a championship. And that's where we met halfway. So we had a lot of meetings. Some I gave in a little bit to them. Some I probably, they thought leaving those meetings, I gave in to them, but we really were going to do things at a championship level. But those kids responded, Debbie. And I still talk to them at least once a month to this day. If they have something, they still reach out to me to this day. Um, because when you win championships, those the rings, I don't know where they are, but the memories last forever. But the big thing for me was the resources and the people around like Joey, like Brian, like Brandon McKinney. I mean, we were picking up chairs and putting chairs down and cleaning out bleachers. And I'm a coach. There was no more humbling moment coming from a space of Division One basketball for my entire life. And, you know, I don't know about the WNBA. It might have been a notch under that, right? Because we're on Southwest Airlines where I'm driving a bus. You know, I'm in charge of the golf team, and I want to just tell you they had their biggest game. I don't know nothing about golf. I didn't know when to turn the car off or whatever, but I cheered those kids on, and we actually got a placement. Also being an AD, right, being in spaces like that. But the resources were low at a D3 space. The facilities high, but the people are even higher, and that's what you learn how important people are. Yeah, I mean, when you take that experience and you – move it down the road on 70 West towards your home. And now you're at Dayton and you're surrounded by your people in some ways, Tamika. Um, what did you learn from your D3 experience that catapulted you to at, you know, being at Dayton right now? Um, I learned a lot. Um, I think something as small as my first time out against Wilmington as a D3 coach. And I'm like talking to my one assistant coach. And then my one special assistant who doesn't get paid, who shows up because they have a full-time job type of deal. And about time I head to the huddle, the timeout's over. There's no more TV timeouts, right? Um, And now you get on the big stage, but I had to um, make adjustments quicker. I had to get to my huddle quicker. I had to be better on the board. Um, I watched a lot of basketball um, naturally, but even more in tune to like what I had and coaching who's in front of me. I think having so many different head coaches, um, initially you think, man, I'm going to be, but the amount of knowledge that they've provided me in coaching the team is in front of me, um, and being flexible in that. Um, I think that's one thing I brought to Dayton, not having resources and having all the resources, right. Um, but not taking it for granted because when you have to drive a bus, um, to a game or you're not on a charter flight, like we took a charter here to Bahamas to, you know, and, I don't, you know, I had power five SEC schools calling me to share a plane. Okay. So you never, you learn to never take those things for granted. Um, and so if anything I brought is a combination of all my great head coaches I was under, um, the knowledge that they provided. And again, I'm going to always circle back to how important people are and and what you do. I love that your kids 
that you, Coach at Wittenberg are still reaching out to you. I hope that always happens for you, and I bet it will, just because of the person that you are. Um, that's going to keep going. And you're going to keep adding to your list because you just keep having success. When you took the job, it was tough at the beginning, but you can see the steady climb coming. What do you think is the greatest challenge in trying to take a team from the bottom to the journey to the top? I think it's been different every way. And I don't think I thought about it until Neil called um, Neil Sullivan, who's the AD here, and said he wanted to interview. And there were a couple others that, you know, called, I would, you know, just this, the winning as an assistant coach, you know, you get calls and I never felt like I was ready or something that I wanted to venture into until I coached that group of kids. But when he called and we just had a conversation, I, don't, I still don't have an agent. It's just not my thing. I don't, um, I didn't have a portfolio. I didn't, I, I don't have anything that you probably would have told me to have <laughs> at the time at the point of college, uh, college ADs calling. And I don't even think I care. We, he said, I just want to have a conversation. And sometimes you have to sit back and um, really analyze what you've been through. And he said, you started here at Chaminade. They had only made it to a district game. And they won. They lost every time. And you took a team, D1, you know, as a player to the state championship. You played, you know, Pickerington, who had seven kids. And I go, yeah. And then he said the Dayton Lady Hoop Stars. He's like, Nobody knew about the Lady Hoop Stars until, you know, you became a player. Then go to Connecticut. Yeah, they won one, but it was probably, they probably shocked the world. And then you guys come in and people think it's crazy and, you know, and you take down Pat to a certain degree and then they win and, you know, and you guys build something there that you look back 20 years. And then you're at Minnesota and they're the worst team in the French in, in the, in the, in the history of, uh, I mean, sorry, they were the worst uh, franchise at the time in the WNBA. And we end up getting to the playoffs and then we add some pieces and, you know, and they bring me back. And I'm like, why'd you bring me back? You know, we we, we weren't going to get past Lisa Leslie and all of them. We, were, we played against the real WNBA and, you know, and, and Cheryl Swoops. And they said, but how how you handled yourself in the start of it and all of the um, uh, traditions that we do were all things that you started, Tamika. You know, you stood up to Katie Smith and said, you got to be a better leader. Right. You can't just be the best player and take all the shots. You got to make these like we remember those moments that brought us here. Me and Katie are best friends now, so she can tell yeah. the story. Well, I love Katie. Yeah. I mean, I'm her in the locker room. But you don't you start to think about all those moments being last in the Big Ten when Jim Foster took that job and then getting it to a point where you win, you know, six Big Ten championships, being around great. Um, I have great bosses and I learned a lot from them, but it's different every journey. NCAC, Wittenberg had seniors who thought they knew how to win games, but they didn't know how to win the games it took to win a championship. Here, bottom. <laughs> I mean, I took over last year. You had four players who never played who stayed. You're adding new players who are promising, and yeah. you have to trust, you know, you people talk about trust the process. You have to really trust the process and really focus on getting better every day and take the punches like they may. And don't get kicked out of games the way I did today, Debbie. That's what you also <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get there. We're going to get there because I, I want to share, I want you to share your story. Uh, just going to mention something about Katie and it just made me think I need to have her on this podcast because yes. you brought up my son, Joey, when she was playing in Columbus, I was living in Springfield and in uh, the Dayton area. And I would drive over to call their games on coaxial cable and I would take Joey with me and he was two and a half. You'd sit on my lap and watching Katie is where he learned what points, rebounds and assists were because he had a little piece of paper and he would mark it down. I tell him which was what. And uh, he, he learned part of the game watching Katie, which I think is just really amazing. Um, I wrote Katie's uh, Hall of Fame um, article for the magazine for when she went into Naismith. And she's been a big part of my story too. So I, I should probably have her on so that we can share some Katie Smith stories. Um, 
She's and just absolutely amazing. Amazing. Um, so um, let's talk about the passion that comes with coaching on the sideline and the balance there is between communicating with the officials about <laughs> the rules and then the tenor of the game and just, you know, the common sense part of what we do as coaches, broadcasters and balancing um, how the game uh, plays out in 40 minutes. Do you care to share anything since you brought it up already? Yeah. <laughs> well, I got kicked out my first game today, you know, um, uh, and it was the intent was not to get kicked out. Of course, my intent was the foul call was, you know, the discrepancy was was pretty vast for me in, in the game. And um, let me say we're taping this um, right after the game. So this is yeah. like emotional. Yes. An issue. See the slick back. I had my hair down in a nice bob about two hours ago, and then this happened. So um, I re really went out just because of discrepancy in calls and in, in the foul discrepancy. So I just went out and said, "You got to call the game." We just called something in front, and he kept walking. I stopped, held my stance, and we didn't collide. We just touched, and I didn't think he was going, um, you know, to to uh, eject me from the game, but he did. Um, and I didn't want my kids to see that. It was school day. Um, we set a record last year with 10,000 students. We sold out the building today. You know, my teachers, my parents were educators here in the day. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so exactly. It was only 13 students. And I think the best thing for the head coach to do was, you know, to show that the kid from Dayton, <laughs> y'all came to see. So, um, but, you know, I told my players, like, I, I apologize. It's like, no, coach, you were fighting for us, you know, whatever. Um, and they cut the lead to five. So in the fourth and we, you know, and they're a pretty veteran savvy team. They got two first teamers on their, on their team. So we battled. Um, but um, it's just not, not what the look I wanted was my first technical as a player or a coach. Um, I can't believe you've never gotten a technical before. I know. I didn't start as early as you did. Well, yeah, I, got <laughs> I, I did get one as a college player, but mine was from the bench. You know, that that's worse. <laughs> Debbie, it's that's worse, awful. isn't it? It really is worse. <laughs> it's a really good story, but I want you to finish yours because I want to make sure we understand you did not ever get a technical as a player any other time in your career. And today you get the technical and you get tossed. Yes. That's impressive. I, I know, almost impressive. Start as that down. Today's what, January? <laughs> but not as impressive as being a freshman. And, and whatever you said to get that, you I bet yeah. you it was Sally, uh, Sally, uh, Sally Bell who called it. <laughs> it wasn't Sally. It was Tommy Salerno. You still remember the <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, what, what, um, you know, I, I, I can see it in you, Tamika. I just know that you have, 25 more years of impacting young women and being in the game and around the game for, for as long as you've been around it to get your chance at D1 at this particular time. I remember Gary Blair saying he had, he did not have any D1 victories until he was over the age of 40. Yeah. Right. And he had a brilliant hall of fame career. Um, what, what would you say to that? And, and, you know, what do you Maybe think if you're raising your family and you're, you know, you're living in a place where you want to be right now with your young kids, uh, you know, break it down a little bit for us. I think that's a great story because last year was tough. We won six games. Now we won more games. Than we won last year, right? That that's huge. Right. But to get through a season where you're walking into games and you know, you know, you might not have the firepower um, to battle at the level that you want to. You read those stories. Gary Blair, Kim Mulkey, Don Staley. I mean, people forget, they see the Don Staley of right now and they forget 
how hard she had to, she went to temple, you know, some people go straight to D1. She took a temple job and had Candace Dupree and created a lot of energy around that. And at the time I was at, you know, on my way to Kentucky and I was working for ESPN at the time. And if I did a job in South Carolina, I wore flip-flops because it was going to, she was going to get racked. You know, I mean, it was, it, she took the worst job that you could possibly take at that time in that SEC um, um, and made it a powerhouse. So I read all those stories. How long did, I mean, even Susie Merchant to come in and do what she does. Jim Foster, St. Joe, and then Vanderbilt um, in a highly competitive SEC, right? When were their first winning seasons? When did they finally turn, Katie Meyer, when did they finally turn this corner? It took years, right? It took years. And so um, for me, having those people to be mentors and that I can call on, and then some who weren't successful. Why weren't you successful? You know, the number one thing they say, the people I chose to put around me. That's why, you know, that's it. And I and I needed to grow up and mature in these certain ways in that space. And so paying attention to why people weren't successful is always very important. And I interview everybody. I took a long time to take a job. So I interviewed everybody. I know because I had you on my list at a lot of different places. <laughs> I'm talking to name. Um, and I, I'm sort of your agent. Like I tell yes, coaches, I'm really the agent. Like yes. I can call up and say, hey, you know, yes. you need to check this out. Uh, I want to ask you um, something a little bit. It's not quite off topic, but it, it will be a great perspective from you. We are right now in the We Back Pat week where we're celebrating the legacy of Pat Summit and her, not just her winning career, as you talk about stories, you know, seven final fours before she finally won one, right? That's an amazing stat. But, um, you, you mentioned, um, you know, Alzheimer's and its impact on your family. Pat is, um, her le part of her legacy is, you know, trying to find fund research and help the caregivers, not just the people that are battling, but that's a big prong of their mission right now and what they're trying to do. And you were coming along at a time at UConn where, you know, there was a little bit of a shift was starting to happen, right? Like, I always thought that Gino raised Pat's level and Pat raised Gino's level. And I, and I always felt that way about the two of them because I thought they were so great and so brilliant for the game. And they both won with the right way and with the right people. Mm -hmm. When you look at your time playing against Tennessee and then you think now about what Pat's name has meant to the game as from a Connecticut perspective, like how would you put that in context? Well, I'm definitely on the side, and this might surprise you, that Pat raised Geno's level, period, because I was in the locker room when it happened. Now, you know, um, there are not too many people who got under his skin. She was the only one. Her, <laughs> her dark empire made him not sleep at night, you know? And so, but I think it takes someone reaching that level for other people to shoot at it, right? And I think he was one that wasn't afraid to get in that battle a little bit, um, but she definitely, he wanted everything she had it. She had at the point that she built. And it was amazing because you go play at Tennessee, it was rocking. You know, mm -hmm. you had to listen to that ugly song that they listened to all the time. And they had 20 <laughs> different colors of oranges in there. And we all got recruited by her and said, no, we were the first group to say no. But we were also the first group that came in and they didn't win in four years we were there. And when Pat Summit and Mickey DeMoss walked in my house, they said, I guarantee you'll play USA basketball. I guarantee you'll be in the NBA. I guarantee you'll be an All-American. I guarantee you'll be at All-SEC and you'll yeah. be in one of the meeks. That's impressive. And you'll graduate. You know, like there were so, I mean, the the absolutes in her conversation, my mom was like, take her now. Oh, you can, have, you know, 
And then when I said, hey, I'm not going to Tennessee, my mom thought it was crazy. So did everybody else. When at that time, people forget sure. how dominant she was, right? She cleared the rack. I mean, me and Swim were done deals in Tennessee. And, you know, it was this crazy Italian guy telling us we can do that, you know, that we could take, we could win, we could make it, um, um, you know, make, make, make history up here. And we went that route. And so past summit is everything. When, when I would be in the press breaker, cause that's back when they used to press and do all, you know, and she'd be behind me. You ever walk through your house in the dark and you just, there's nobody in the house with you, but you feel like something touched your back. That's what I felt like that snarl behind me. She just had that, 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 yeah. power, that energy. So, I mean, past summit is everything. She's the reason why a big reason why the game is where it is right now. Um, she left a phenomenal, um, um, just legacy behind in so many ways. Um, we lost her too soon. And to see my mom go through the same thing as she went through um, and and to see somebody so powerful, a powerful woman, like you got power. My mom was powerful, powerful, just like Pat, um, be so weak at times. Um, I, I love the fight and I love the, the, the energy that her foundation is bringing to this, to this cause. Cause I'm living it. I want to just put one drop line on all of that, because I think this is a good way for people to understand the, exactly what you're talking about, because you're right. It was an incredible battle between two big time wills in our game and it elevated all the games. So not just each other's programs, yes. but when Pat was, uh, had di had been diagnosed and had announced, you know, that she was going to create the foundation and she was going to try to help people. I happened to be at her house the day that she was trying to craft a thank you note to Gino for his $10,000 gift to her foundation. He was one of the first to make that donation. And I, it was a challenging conversation with Pat, right? Because, you know, they were such fierce competitors and there was some dislike at, at one point, but they never lost respect. I never thought they ever lost respect. But now it was starting to come back around, right? Like the respect was starting to grow and, and you could see there was some sympathies on both sides about each other's relationship. Right after that, I was at UConn for a game and I asked Gino before the game, I said, hey, um, not, I'm not sure this will come up in the game, but if, if it does come up in the game, is it okay with you if I tell everyone that you made a gift to the Pat Summit Foundation? And he went, how do you know about that? <laughs> Say, I know everything. I'm Debbie Antonelli. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I, said, I thought he was going to get mad at me, right? So right, right. Oh, yeah. I, I said, Coach, uh, the only reason why I know is because I was with Pat when she was trying to craft her thank you note. And I'm not going to say he cried because that wouldn't be it. But the look on his face and the, his eyes, the way he looked at me, I could feel his emotion over it. Like it, it definitely touched him that she was over all the years of their relationship. It gives me the chills even sharing the story with you because it was a moment that I had with Gino that I'll never forget. And I did relay it back to Pat and she was as emotional as well. It was really interesting you know, how the two of them went about conducting their business and then how it all resolved, you know, at the end. Um, so I, that's a wonderful way for us to, you know, to make a could You and me, we could keep going back and forth and, and on and on. You should have brought uh, Joey on. That's my guy. But I'll get Joey next time. Uh, I'll get Joey next time. He has the utmost respect for you and he enjoyed his time with you. And I'm so grateful that my son could be around a great woman like you so that you could help 
usher him into the college athletic space along with Brian. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for being on the podcast. I know. Well, it won't be the last time. I got, I got no. something to sleep for my Joey because I, I really enjoyed working with him. He was very steadfast. And I, I do, I tell my young people this all the time because I was a GA. When people come up to you and Joey would do this, do you need anything else? Your son is an introvert. He's just like my husband. They're not going to say much, right? Right. But he's a doer and he's an action-driven kid and he's young and he's learning. But he'd always say, hey, do you need anything? And that line is everything. That line got me a job with Jim Foster. Do you need anything? I was answering phones. First round, I'm answering phones. Do you need anything, coach? You good? All right, I'm going to go home. I got to go get my workout in. Joey does that. And you know, if anything, any young kid is watching this, you take something out of Joey's book. You take something out of people's book. If you're if somebody works for Debbie and goes, hey, hey, Miss Ant- Mrs. Antonelli, do you need anything? You good for the rest of the day? That means everything. So Joey's good with me. Not because Debbie's his mom, because he works his tail off. Um, that makes me so proud. Thank you for sharing that. And he's going to be really excited about all the nice things you said about him. So thank you. That's my homie right there. <laughs> he got me through, Debbie. You have no clue. Yeah. You know, it's funny because in our family, you know, Patrick's the D2 point guard and then Frankie gets all the, the attention. As a matter of fact, we just throw it out there right now. If you have not seen the Netflix Love on the Spectrum, which is trending. Yes, yes, yes. Netflix, yes, yes. Frankie and his roommate Tanner are season two, uh, episode two. And Frankie has a little speaking part in there, but his roommate Tanner is uh, a part of the Love on the Spectrum and it is absolutely amazing. So I highly encourage you. you oh, know, watch like, it. After you break it down tonight and you got a minute, you know, skip right to uh, that and you'll see Tanner uh, and Frankie. And, and they have a scene in their apartment and it's great. That's awesome. Well, Frankie's all, I mean, he's, he's the most famous Antonelli. So we, know, we already know. That's right. awesome. You know. I'm going to watch it. Tamika, you're the best. Thank you so much for being with us on Nothing But Net. Uh, we wish you well the rest of the season. Stay healthy and stay on the sideline. I am. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Debbie. I'll see you guys. Thank you.